1: Save time and money versus going to a shop
0: by picking up an AC pro recharge kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: There was a Twitter hashtag today that I'm going to need to press Sam Dyker on to open up the 37th edition of Minor League Baseball's the show before the show podcast. Hi everybody, I'm Tyler Mond. He's Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler.
0: Star Wars Happy baseball Star Wars jokes. day to you, I should say. <laughs> if this give is going me, how I think it's going, give
1: me your favorite Star Wars baseball joke.
0: My favorite. Those
1: are flying on Twitter today.
0: Um, uh, I could give you the favorite one I had. Okay. Um, how do I? Or yeah, let me get this absolutely right here.
1: Gotta get the wording correct. Yeah, it's a lot of wordplay, a lot of puns.
0: Right. Well, this is—I guess it's to you. So, like, how do I think the princess/slash general should reach first base? She should lay a bu- lay a bunt down.
1: <laughs> L- we don't have a- fancy
0: sound effects, but just imagine. <laughs> the, like, <laughs> yeah. All right. This is, well. I just had two. But okay. Uh, what's a good nickname for Joanna Sosbetis? Yo, duh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like how somebody responded to that with "boo."
0: Yeah. See, that was my roommate. <laughs> Which makes it look all the worse. It's just like he knows that's my humor. humor and, uh, yeah.
1: Yo, duh. Duh. So welcome in. It is obviously <laughs> mid-December around the world of minor league baseball. Wearing start. We're, yeah, we're off to it. We're screeching out of the gates here. Uh, but, no, welcome into the 37th edition of the show before the show. Tyler, Sam, we are going to be jam-packed today as we are from week to week. It feels like well, one of the big names around the world of minor league baseball in the last week. Aaron Blair, now of the Atlanta Braves organization, will join the show. Aaron Blair, part of the contingent that the Arizona Diamondbacks shipped to Atlanta in exchange for Shelby Miller. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one because we get a chance to hear from the traded side what it's like. We've, uh, we've talked a lot about the Tukey Toussaint deal. We never got a chance to talk to Tukey about that. So we'll kind of hear from Aaron's perspective what this last week has been like for him, traded along with Dansby Swanson and Ender Inciarte to the Atlanta Braves uh, to give the Braves that one of those. Front lines, or to give the Diamondbacks rather, one of those frontline starters uh, that they'll ride into the 2016 season in Shelby Miller. So we'll talk with him. Aaron coming up here shortly. Benjamin Hill will join us after that. Going to look back on Ben's 2015 season uh, with MILB.com and all the the great work that he turned out, some of the highlights that will be in his year-in-review story, which will be coming up on the site next week. But before we get to all that, let's get to all this. Three strikes for episode number 37. We're going to kick things off with yet another big trade of prospects, a three-team deal. This is just yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday the 17th. Yesterday... Once more, a big swap goes down in which a lot of prospects move places. Let's let the Los Angeles Dodgers Twitter account take us through it. Quote, Dodgers have completed three-team trade with Reds and White Sox. Dodgers receive right-handed pitcher Frankie Montas, outfielder Trace Thompson, and second baseman Micah Johnson. Subsequent t- tweet, Reds receive infielder Jose Peraza, outfielder Scott Shebler, and minor league infielder Brandon Dixon. White Sox receive third baseman Todd Frazier. Let's get Todd Frazier just out of the way really quickly because I think a lot of people are confused as to how He would be the centerpiece of a deal after the way he started last year for the Reds, like what the Reds' approach to this is. Let's just look at Todd Frazier's numbers pre- and post-All-Star break. He was the starting third baseman in Cincinnati for the National League All-Star team. Pre-break last year, 284 average, 337 on-base percentage, 585 slugging percentage. That's a 922 OPS, 25 homers, 57 runs batted in. Post-All-Star break... 220 average, 274 on base percentage, 390 slugging percentage. That's a 664 OPS, 10 homers, 32 runs batted in. So the Reds ship a guy out with a pretty decent value who really collapsed over the second half last year. They get a trio of prospects in return. But I think, and Sam, you noted this in the story yesterday, what really stands out here is the Dodgers haul.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, one thing to kind of note on Todd Frazier, you know, he did win the home run derby at home um and, and people have done research before on how much you know going for it all in a home run derby like that can affect your second halves, and that was certainly something we saw with him. But yeah, to go back to your point. And I'll his home go. and road
1: splits are rough too. Eight eighty three right, yeah. OPS on at home, uh the kind of the bandbox at his Great American Ballpark in Cincy, seven seventy three or seven thirty three rather uh on the road. Right.
0: So there's all sorts of things that are going on with him, but we, we try to focus on the prospects. Everybody's going to break down Frazier to the White Sox. But yeah, the, the way this kind of worked from our viewpoint is that the Dodgers got three prospects and the Reds got three prospects. And for me, um, I, I would say just to weight them both, put them both on scales. We're talking about three prospects each. The Dodgers haul here is, is pretty impressive. Um, for being people who are just roped into this deal, I mean, they didn't get anybody who you know we would say is a major league talent um, immediately, at least you know a, a headlining major league talent, certainly in the the pro, the uh, sphere of Frazier. Um, but what they get is three really interesting prospects. Uh, the the top headlining prospects in that kind of regard is Frankie Montes, just a fireball of a pitcher. Um, came over from the Red Sox in in a trade for Jake Peavy a couple of years ago. You know, eventually that helped win them uh, World Series that trade. But you know, he's really developed a, quite an impressive fastball. He can he can tickle you know triple digits. Um, yeah, he normally sits mid nineties with it. But when he was in the Futures game last year, I think he hit a hundred three times. It was one of those things where everybody was just wowed by it. Scouts loved it. Um, he's got a plus slider to go with that. Um, there's a lot of talk. You know, in kind of the scouting community and the baseball community at large, whether he's going to be a starter going forward or if he's going to be a reliever, um, just because he has that awesome stuff that plays up in short spurts, uh, was did really really well last year as a, as a starter. You know, at Double A Birmingham, five uh, and five, two point nine seven ERA, one hundred and eight strikeouts and one hundred and twelve innings pitched, uh, two nineteen average again. So you know, he was, you know, everything you want to see out of a guy who was playing in his age 22 season at double a um, the, the w- intrigue for me here is what are the Dodgers going to try to use him as obviously he has the biggest potential value as a starter Um but if they decide really that he is going to be you know a, a reliever going forward he could kind of fill that you know, I'm not saying it's a like for like swap but you know they went after all this Chapman and that deal fell apart you put Montes in the bullpen he doesn't you don't have that uh, you know closer um you know, issue that they were gonna have with Kenley Jansen, who was gonna pitch the eighth, who's gonna pitch the ninth. Montes isn't gonna to expect to be a closer right away. He has that really, really good fastball, not quite Chapman's level, but really, really good. He would be a big help to their bullpen, I think, right away. Uh if they decide he's gonna be a starter, he would probably be sent to Triple A Oklahoma City. So we'll have to see how they handle him. Um I I, I still think his long term viability is it as a starter, you know you got a guy who's got starter stuff. He's got two very much clutch pitches. Try to squeeze as much value as you can out of him. He becomes their number four prospect. Uh, number eight is Micah Johnson, another guy they got over. This is a guy who stole eighty plus bases just a couple of years ago. Just has lightning fast speed. Kind of similar in Jose Peraza in that that realm. They both got seventy fives on the twenty to eighty scale. Uh, you know, hit 315 at AAA last year. That so it's again a kind of like for like swap. You know, they uh, I don't think the Dodgers necessarily liked Peraza much as much as a second baseman. Uh, Johnson has some you know major league experience to him. Um, hasn't hit incredibly well in the majors, just 230 and 36 games last year um is yet to to go for a homer and only has the 3 steals in 36 games but he could provide an interesting option for their infield you know in which they they have a couple guys who could play second uh between Justin Turner and Enrique Hernandez um and then they also pick up Trace Thompson who you know really performed much better in a major league stint than any of us were thinking he hit 295 5 homers in 44 games you know 363 on base percentage 896 OPS i mean this was a guy who's OPS in the minors is in the low 700s. Just outperformed himself in the majors. Kind of buying high on him. I don't think he's necessarily going to be that guy, but um, you know, again in the majors anytime soon. But the Dodgers already have a stacked outfield. Now they pick up another piece that you know he can go back to AAA or you know. Everybody else is talking about this. I'll I'll be interested to see how it shakes out. These are just more assets for the Dodgers now. If they want to really go after Jose Fernandez uh, from the Marlins. Or if they decide, you know, there's talk today about them being interested in Jake Odorizzi, who is a very good young pitcher, some controllable years left. They certainly have the pieces now to make it happen. Uh, Whether it's, you know, they immediately flip any of these three guys or they decide to hold on to them. The Dodger system, already one of the strongest in the minors, uh, you know, gets even stronger with this trade, I think.
1: This is a... I mean, obviously the Dodgers (laughs) offseason, somebody retweeted responses. The Dodgers tweeted out a a holiday ticket deal, and the responses from the fan base were basically, no, you're terrible, this offseason has been awful, we're not buying tickets. I mean, this is a team that, you know, for the last couple of years has been a piece away from a World Series, if not more. But their their front office has been restructured. Obviously, Dave Roberts in there now as manager of that team for 2016. This is a much different approach to the offseason than we've seen from the Dodgers over the last few years. And I think the the note about Montes maybe being that guy who fits in as the bullpen arm that the Dodgers lost out when the Aroldis-Chapman deal fell through, which we don't even know what the circumstances are about that going forward. We were basically all informed that the deal had been put on hold while there was a, an investigation ongoing into the, the domestic violence incident with Aroldis-Chapman. So that's a big question mark. Um, this is – a top level acquisition of packaged minor league talent. I mean, the Dodgers should be very excited about what they got. Um, but it's it's different than what we've seen from them going forward. And Sam, we were talking before we got into this segment. Right now, if you remove Corey Seager from the equation, he's our number two overall prospect in all baseball and the top prospect in the Dodger system. We know he's going to be in Los Angeles, if not to start the year, then very shortly thereafter. He's pretty well graduated. Behind him now, the top five prospects in the system are all pitchers, and one of those guys now. Montes has been acquired via trade. Two prospects beyond that top five is Micah Johnson, who's also included in this list, who's seen some big league time. Um, By the way, apparently, if I named you an organization all-star this year, you're just destined to be moved somewhere. So my apologies to pretty (laughs) much everybody because it seems like at this point I've just cursed everyone into an offseason trade or a Rule 5 selection or whatever it is. Uh, But, I mean, this this is a loaded system, which we've talked about with the Dodgers. They've got such an expensive major league club, but the minor league system is loaded in L.A.,
0: yeah, and that that's what I think they really are going after right now is just picking up these assets. I mean, we normally talk about assets in terms of the NBA, um, you know, Celtics kind of that mode of just picking up first round picks, but in baseball, when we talk about assets, we can talk about prospects who are these ranked guys, top 100 guys. Um so it feels like there's another shoe about to drop. Um if not, you know, they're just picking up this really cheap talent and they can go spend their billions of dollars elsewhere. I mean, they have you know, Dodgers are sitting on all this money, lose out on Greinke because uh, they weren't willing to spend it. So if they're going to try to just fill in all these options with the uncontrollable talent, imagine what's going to happen. You know, everybody talks about that uh, class of 2018 free agent season. So maybe they're just setting themselves up to overspend there. But uh, I think I think there's some other dominoes that are going to kind of fall in this. And just to kind of turn it back to the Reds too, because we don't yeah. want to make this just a Dodgers thing. Definitely. I, I have to say, I am personally probably higher on uh, Peraza than a lot of other people are. He's he's a guy who can hit for a good average. He's going to hit around 300, even in the majors, I think, once he gets to play there every day. Um, like I said, he's got 75 speed, he can just burn around the base pass. Is certainly giving any team that he's going to have some value there. He, he's quick on his feet, so he should be okay at second base. There have been some issues there in the past, but then you know he can play some center field Obviously, we know the Reds have a pretty good one right now, and Billy Hamilton, arguably the fastest guy in the game. Kind of a side note: I would love to see those two in a hundred-meter dash. I would pay, I would say at most fifteen dollars, but like a movie ticket to see those two in a hundred-meter dash. Um, so that you know they're getting something good there. Where I think this kind of falls apart is with you know, no offense to these guys, but Scott Schiebler and Brandon Dixon. You know, the other two guys going to Cincinnati, they're not nearly as exciting for me personally, you know, as Micah Johnson and Trace Thompson. So when we're talking about a three for three swap here, you have to compare, you know, what the three on one side and the three on the other side. And shebler Schiebler and Dixon, Dixon's kind of an older guy, you know, who played double A last year. Uh Schiebler was a Dodgers thirteen prospect at the time of the trade, hit two forty one with thirteen homers and 121 games at triple A. He has you know he could hit double digits in homers and uh, stolen bases, has some time in the majors. Um, but, you know, they, as far as the Reds go, I think there was probably a better package out there for Todd Frazier. But they they must really like Jose Peraza, so they got their man there.
1: And it'll be uh, a fascinating thing to watch where the Reds envision Peraza going forward. Started his professional career as a shortstop. As Sam noted, he had moved to second in the Braves organization. He's seen some time in the outfield. Is this the heir apparent to Brandon Phillips? Is this what is the road forward now for Peraza? Behind that, I mean, you get three controllable minor league assets in exchange for one major league talent. I guess you could view it that way. But Todd Frazier was really pretty much a folk hero uh, in Cincinnati. And so it is definitely one that I think the the Reds will find a little bit difficult to sell to that fan base. But um, if Peraza plays out to the way that a lot of people think he can, then he may well make this deal worth it. I think beyond that, you're right. It's a, a little bit more of a, a question mark than what the Dodgers got in this deal. Um, strike two, another big trade piece that, pretty much fell right after we recorded the last podcast, but we were all positive that the Philadelphia Phillies had acquired a big bat in Derek Fisher from the Houston Astros uh, in the the deal that really blew everybody's mind this last week when we found out that it wasn't Fisher going to Philadelphia. Instead it was Mark Appel. Um, so we've now had two former number one overall draft picks traded really over the last week, let's say. Uh, this deal, I think, really stunned everybody when it turned out to be Appel included in that. Um, what do you think this says about Mark Appel, Sam, because you and I have talked to him a bunch of times, Jake and I had him on the podcast. Uh, one of our very first episodes back in May. Rest in peace, Jake. Uh, and <laughs> Appel is one of the best guys in baseball. One of the best attitudes. Um, he's a very introspective guy. Really, really studies himself, and you know what contributed to his struggles, especially with Class A Advanced Lancaster. Got himself back on track with Double A Corpus Christi last year. Spent a lot of time with Triple A Fresno. Won not only the Pacific Coast League title but the Triple A championship with the Fresno Grizzlies. Threw really, really well in the postseason. And you know, I mean, this is a, a two-time first round pick uh this is a guy who was selected first overall in a system that has really changed the game in the way you rebuild a farm system in the Astros organization. And I think there are a lot of people saying, man, look at the way the Astros whiffed on Mark Appel. I don't think the Astros see it that way. I certainly don't think that Mark Appel sees himself as damaged goods going to a new organization. But how do you view this? Because you trade him for a proven major league closer the Astros will get in Ken Giles. But on the other side, they gave up a lot in this deal. And giving up Mark Appel kind of took it to a new level.
0: Yeah, this went from just something like, oh, the Astros are using them, their depth. And, you know, I like Derek Fisher. I think he, he's certainly, as you said, a good bat. He's somebody to be excited about. But he's he's not Mark Appel who has that shine of being a number one overall pick and, you know, a first-round first pick the year before that. Um, so th- this went from, oh, the Astros made a nice trade to the Astros really dipped into their depth here and are kind of, I think – the idea is that they think they have so many arms in their system, so many good pieces that Appel, you know, they they are the, maybe that one closer away from being a very, very good team next year. Um, we're seeing a lot of teams go after relief pitching this year.
1: It's like uh, the new inefficiency. Yeah. Building that strong like bullpen.
0: Everybody's willing to pay through the nose for it. Um, so that's a little bit of what the Astros are doing here. You know, with, with Appel – the shine is still on him it has not come off i mean you read the the scouting reports on this guy right now mlb.com you know mlb pipeline 70 grade fastball 60 grade slider 55 grade changeup they're all above average and they even think his control is going to be slightly above average and normally control if it's anything other than 50 it's you know it, your ears should peak up or perk up excuse me um so you know the He's just above average across the board, and he has that makeup. You know, we like talking to him. He makes for a good quote. He makes for a good person to talk to. So, it's it's kind of a cliche, but this is just like a, a new opportunity for him. You know, it's something where, you know, it's a change of scenery. You know, which should almost become a, a hashtag in sports—just hashtag change of scenery. But, you know, maybe this is something it, it wasn't working out necessarily in the Astros system. He needed to work it out a little more. You know, they were pushing him to AAA. Um, numbers weren't entirely great there, but it was in the PCL. Uh, so at, at this point, I, I, I think it's a new opportunity for him. It's a new chance. You know, I, we'll see what happens when he moves to the IL. They, if these same numbers come up, then we can really start to question things. Uh, maybe he becomes, you know, kind of a guy like Andrew Miller, or Dylan Batantis, You know, both with the Yankees now. But Miller was a highly touted prospect when he was drafted, and he ended up being traded, and then he became a reliever because. You know, he just couldn't quite stick as a starter. Um, and, you know, Appel's stuff, if it's as good as everybody's saying, and, and we've seen it, it, it is as good as everybody's saying. Um, if it's just not working as a starter, maybe he has that opportunity to become an elite closer himself. Um, but, you know, the Phillies, for for trading a reliever, who's only going to pitch, you know, 60 innings, um, they got a really, really interesting piece here, and it's just another part of what they're doing as a rebuild.
1: That segues us perfectly into strike three this week. And, Sam, you came up with this topic, and it's, I think – these are two teams that we would not have put in this conversation this time last year that are very much entrenched in this conversation now going into 2016. Who is doing the rebuild from scrap better at this stage? The Philadelphia Phillies, who, again, we would never have talked about in this way a year ago, or the Atlanta Braves, who we're going to discuss here a lot uh, coming up just momentarily with Aaron Blair, formerly of the Arizona Dimebacks organization, now a member of that Brave system. These are two teams that have a lot now in the pipeline coming forward in a division where you obviously need pitching based on uh, what the Mets have, especially under control for the next few years, and the, the money that the Nationals have spent to build their rotation. Um, who is doing this better right now? Because you go back to the Phillies trade of, of Cole Hamels, you go back to the Braves trade in which they acquired Tuki Toussaint, these two teams have been doing a lot somewhat under the radar, I think, until the last month or so maybe, when teams are now really starting to look at that and say, man, look at what they're doing in Atlanta, look at what they're doing in Philadelphia. Who right now stands out? to you more yeah
0: and this I'm you bring up a good point in that I think this discussion as we're having it today on you know Thursday December 17th is a snapshot of how it is now I mean these two teams can make other deals this offseason things could change very quickly you know there's the drafts coming up Uh, I think the Phillies have the first overall pick the Braves are at number three so that could change the complexion of how this is all going to kind of change moving going forward um, how how their rebuilds are going to go but as things kind of stand right now I, I would give the advantage to the Braves um and again that that would have changed a couple weeks ago because after the Angelton Simmons trade and i broke down the numbers a little bit on the on our blog i really was not a big fan of what they got for somebody who's so young so controllable and you know such a defensive wizard um but now as we're painting a bigger picture with this Shelby Miller trade what they were able to get from the D-backs uh, between Swanson and Blair and Inciarte, who's you know a, a defensive wizard himself in the outfield, um, you know what what it feels like. The Braves are doing is they're just picking up as many arms as they can, and they're all going to be upper levels, Double A, Triple A, knocking down that door between Newcomb, Blair, uh, Tyrell Jenkins is the guy they picked up last year, uh, who I really like. I think he he, he could be you know a good back end starter, could even be a really really good reliever. Um, really picked up the innings last year. Tukey Toussaint's a little lo- lower down. Manny Benuelos started for the team last year. Uh, Lucas Sims you know, was in the AFL this year. They're getting Max Fried back after he had some injury troubles. So what they're going to do is they're just going to get as many arms as they can, and two, three years down the line, they're just going to form this rotation that we're going to look at, and that guy was a top 100 prospect. That guy was a top 100 prospect. And they were all acquired in, via trades um and that's I I think you point out the Mets and I think that's kind of how you have to do it now if you can have a very solid rotation one through five even one through six one through seven that you can trust anybody coming out on any given day the other stuff will just kind of fall into place and you know Swanson I think might be my favorite player traded this offseason so the fact that they got him. Um, you know, pushes him, them up even higher in this kind of discussion for me over the Phillies. You know, I like what the Phillies did last year, getting, you know, dipping into what was a very deep ranger system, getting Jake Thompson, getting Nick Williams, Jorge O'Faro, um from the Phillies. You know, J.P. Crawford is still in that system. You know, he, he's going to come out up at his own pace, could be a major leaguer next year. Um, so they've set the, themselves up very well. I just really like the brave strategy right now of getting as many arms as possible.
1: This is uh, a fun off season. This has been a fun couple of weeks already. And I don't know why, but this off season has the feel that, you know, the winter meetings went down and there were some moves, but it was sort of quiet. And then everything exploded with the, the big Shelby Miller trade, but it just feels like there's more on the horizon. You know what I mean? Like it feels like there's going to be, I don't know, maybe that's just wishful thinking because if I was going to do a Michael Kane impression now, like some people just like to watch the world burn. And I think that's <laughs> so fun over the off season when there's massive deals, and we all get to freak out about them at the same time on Twitter. Um, I don't know. This just uh, It has the feel like there's more coming, and those are two organizations that have put themselves kind of at the forefront now. I think when you give a five-year outlook, um, you know, the National League East, let's say in this circumstance, it's going to look vastly different a couple of seasons from now, especially with the way the Braves are stockpiling arms, moving into a new ballpark, all that kind of stuff from what we've seen over them the last few seasons. Um, I don't know. This just has the feel of a little bit more to come. There are, as Sam noted, there are some systems, guys who have been acquired who maybe are attractive in other packages going forward. Are the Dodgers making moves in order to try to make a bigger splash at the major league level with some of this talent they've now acquired at the minor league level? Who knows? But this really feels like there could be still more on the horizon, and uh, maybe it's just all, it's all Christmas uh, wishful thinking. You know. Yeah, well, I, I want a I big think it was present.
0: Kent Rosenthal who wrote a, a column on December fifteenth, and it, you know, you mentioned how the Dodgers fans were all up in arms, and like, we're not doing anything. We're not doing anything. It's December fifteenth, we still have what two more months until pitchers and catchers. There's plenty of time left to, for these deals to be made. And again, what we're ta- we're doing this on a weekly podcast, and uh, you know, this is a snapshot snapshot of w- the way things stand now. Next week, right before Christmas, a big trade could drop right we 're throwing this all up in the air, and we were talking about the the Braves and Phillies versus somebody else, so there 's still much more to come.
1: So, with that, we are, uh, we're going to wrap up Three Strikes for this week's edition of The Show Before the Show. Um, hey, before we head into our interview with Aaron Blair, just wanted to take a moment to tell you that you, as always, can rate, review, and subscribe to The Show Before the Show on iTunes. Uh, we have climbed like 40 spots in the baseball podcast rankings on iTunes since we started this show back in April, which is super cool. And right now, uh, we, as I noted on Twitter this week, We have six reviews on there, uh, or six ratings. We're at five stars, um, which leaves us only like 16,000 five-star ratings behind Adele's new album, which I got (laughs) and would rate five stars. But so go on there, rate us, review, subscribe to the show before the show on iTunes, and, uh, yeah, big thanks to all of you who have tuned in throughout 2015. We're looking forward to being even bigger and better and and bolder and all those kinds of things in 2016. And
0: and special shout-out to uh, the family of our guests. Yes. Uh, When I reached out to Aaron Blair, who you'll hear here, very momentarily um he asked where can my family find the podcast and listen in so welcome to the blair family the blair extended family whoever may be listening um please you know subscribe to us on itunes get more of this talk hopefully you've enjoyed it so far hopefully you enjoy the interview and the interviews to come that now that once you subscribe it'll automatically pop up in your itunes feed
1: there you go to the Blair family and everybody else uh, in case you will be back next week. We'll be back the week of New Year's, but we know things get busy. So if you miss us next week, happy holidays to all of you. Uh, And with that, we'll send it on over to to Aaron Blair, the newly minted number four prospect in the Atlanta Braves organization, a very wild last couple of weeks in that system, in the Arizona Diamondback system. We'll get the read on what it feels like to be traded, to be headed to a new organization with a whole lot of top-level talent that is steaming toward the big leagues and that brand-new ballpark coming up in 2017. In Atlanta. Aaron Blair is on the docket for the Braves, and he's on the docket for episode number 37 of the Show Before the Show podcast. The off season does not necessarily mean that things calm down for anybody throughout the world of minor league baseball, especially for guys like our guest on this week's edition of the minor league baseball podcast, the show before the show, the newly minted number four Atlanta Braves prospect Aaron Blair joins us from uh, sunny, but I guess chilly Las Vegas, Nevada. Aaron, what's up, man? Uh, welcome into the show. How are you?
2: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks for joining us. This has had to have been uh, an insane week or so for you. Um, this obviously is a deal that I think shocked the majority of the baseball world. And for you guys being at the epicenter of it, uh, you and Dansby Swanson, the two top prospects in this deal, along with Ender Inciarte, shipped from the Arizona Diamondbacks to the Atlanta Braves. Um, let's just go with kind of the immediate reaction for you, because this obviously is a, a life-changing week. I mean, you go to the Diamondbacks a few years ago, 36 overall pick. Now all of a sudden things look markedly different going into 2016 um what has this last week been like for you uh and kind of being at the the center of a huge story and knowing that this next season will be kind of a, a different feel from what it's been so far in your pro career
2: um it was exciting you know uh i was sitting here playing video games with my brother and i saw on twitter that the dying backs had acquired shelby miller um and then about a minute later my agent calls me uh and he told me that they made a trade, but he wasn't sure for who. Um, and then, you know, the next 24 hours, uh, my phone was constantly on the charger. Um, you know, people are calling me, um, tweeting me, you know, talking to my family, uh, my fiancé, my brother, my parents. You know, it was just the first the first day or two days was, um, you know, crazy. But, you know, looking at it now... Um, I was grateful for what the Dimebacks, they gave me the opportunity to start my career. Um, And, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting with the new team, with the Braves, and, you know, seeing how this season will play out for me.
1: Take me through what it feels like to be traded. The way that you know, I kind of always, whenever I've talked to somebody who's been traded, it's not something that really anybody else in any other career path goes through. Like neither of us is going to walk into work one day and they're going to be like, "All right, we traded you to a you know a different website and you got to report somewhere else to work." Um, but I mean, the especially the fact, like you noted, the Diamondbacks give you your chance; they get you started in your professional career, and then all of a sudden it's you know, I mean, obviously their stress right now is to win at the major league level with the moves they've made. That's the the main focus for Arizona, but for you guys, I mean, this has got to be tough uh, to a large extent because so much changes and it's exciting, but I would imagine there's some bittersweet feeling. What is the emotion like when you hear from your agent, when you know you're involved in a deal like that? Um, All of that, looking back in the last few seasons to now know that that chapter of your career is over.
2: Yeah. um, You know, going from one organization to another, um, you know, there could be similarities, but more than likely, it's going to be, you know, a huge change. Uh, you know, you're going to meet a whole bunch of new people while on the other side you lost friends um, that you won't play with again. Um, and, you know, each team is different of how everything's ran and, you know, what each organization does to make themselves better. So, you know, going into this, you got to have an open mind and, you know, you got to know that you're dealing with new people each and every day and the people the coaches and the staff that are going to be helping me are are, you know still learning what I can do and um so like you said it is kind of bittersweet to leave you know what you were used to for two and a half years starting my pro career but um you know, on the other the other foot you know it's exciting to get another opportunity with another team and um you know I'm looking forward to hope I hope I uh, you know make the team
0: yeah and, and speaking about like being part of a new organization um, you know what do you kind of what do you kind of know about the Braves coming into this I mean a lot of the talk this off season is that they're they're acquiring all this young talent all these prospects kind of like yourself and to kind of rebuild and grow like a really young good team hopefully a year or two down the line um, so what do you what do you kind of know about them the way they operate and uh, have they reached out to you and talked to you at all yet personally
2: um you know i i know a couple of guys that have played with the braves or are currently playing in the organization um you know and i've heard nothing but great things about the organization um uh, you know i played um two years against the mississippi braves in the southern league when i was in mobile um and you know they were they were always a great team you know and with the trades that they got you know Me, Swanson, Sean Newcomb. um, I know Tyrell Jenkins. You know that right there. That's a lot of you know young upside players. Not to mention you know some of the younger pitchers they have with um, Tuki Tassant, who Diamondbacks traded for him or traded him away last year. So um, you know the goal is always to win, but you know it looks like they're they're trying to win two or three years, and, you know, I'm excited to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, and when you mention names like that, like Jenkins and Newcomb, I mean, those are all guys kind of on a almost a similar level to you, you know, upper minors, um, you know, seem to be ready to knock down that door. How do you kind of approach that in terms of, you know, knowing you're, you could be working toward a major league job to start the year this year, and there's all these other young guys you're going to be competing against. How do you kind of go into that first spring approaching that kind of situation?
2: Um, you know, I I won't change anything of what I've done coming into the last two spring trainings I've had, you know, I'm going to get my work in and, you know, I'm going to go try and make the best team possible, whether that be a big league team or a triple A team, you know, um, all I can do is, you know, take care of myself and um, continue to work harder and, you know, push, push myself along with the other guys pushing me. So, um, you know, I'll just, Stay the same person I have been and, you know, God willing, make a team.
1: Aaron, when the trade went down, um, very shortly after that trade went down, um, Tuki Tucson reached out to you and Dansby Swanson on Twitter, and it was kind of a, a sort of a tweet heard around the minor league world, I think, because when people saw it, they wondered really what the, the emotion was behind it because these trades have left a lot of people, I think, scratching their heads. I mean, that's three first-round picks you included to be dealt away from the Diamondbacks just over the last six months or so. What do you think – I mean, what's the – the feeling among you guys who have now all gone through this from the Diamondback side and especially being able to know somebody like Tukey, who a very highly regarded prospect, a very high draft pick, he's been through it now. So you guys can sort of lean on him. What do you think his motivation was behind that tweet? And, and how has that been for you and Dansby to be able to talk to somebody who's been through this a little bit and already gone to the same organization as where you're headed?
2: Um, yeah. Tuki's one of the guys I've talked to in the organization. Um, and he said, you know, organizations are different, but, um, he liked it and you know I told him it was it's great to be part of the organization and I'm looking forward to working with him again um, like I did last spring training um, and you know I, I saw the tweet I didn't actually respond I, I actually sent him a text message and um, you know it was pretty popular pretty popular tweet but um, you know I can't necessarily tell you what he was thinking but you know, it's it's good to have all these young players, especially three guys from the Diamondbacks over the past, like you said, six months to all be back in the same organization with trade. So, you know, I'm looking forward to working with Tukey again and, um, you know, looking forward to meeting and working with Dansby.
0: Yeah, and kind of to pivot back a little bit just to kind of – talk about you know some on the field stuff looking back at your 2015 season you know split the year between double a mobile and triple a reno um solid numbers both spots 160 in the third innings that's you know a good load for a guy in the minor leagues at least um you know it seemed like a solid year out of you what did what did you kind of or how looking back on the year now that you've been removed from it a little bit how did you kind of view your season and especially moving to the pcl um, you know, where where is you are playing in a lot more hitter friendly environments and you perform pretty well there. So how do you kind of view, you know, the 2015 as a whole and particularly that first taste of triple ball?
2: Um, well the year, you know, I couldn't be more pleased with the year, how it went, um, you know, how I competed and got better each each time I went out. Um, I mean, my best start of the season was probably my last start of the season um against Sacramento. Um but, you know, it was all about the time in between starts. You know, we're working with uh, the pitching coaches, you know, watching other people work, you know, learning from, especially in AAA, learning from the older guys who have been around and have some significant big league time, you know, um, learning from guys like that. Um, and, you know, going to the PCL, you've always heard horror stories about, you know, oh, every fly ball is a home run. Um, and my first start, I actually – I think I gave up nine runs in four innings and, you know, I was kind of, I was like, oh, what is, what's going on? And then, you know, from there on, I just kind of worked on keeping the ball down and, you know, ground balls, ground ball numbers went up and, you know, you can't hit a home run when you're bouncing the ball to a shortstop. So when I got to AAA, that was my main goal. And, um, you know, I was very pleased with
0: how I finished the year. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, it and as you said too, you know, it was a solid year all around. One thing I kinda wanted to ask about though, um, was, you know, in two thousand fourteen, you know, your first full season in a D back system, um you had hundred and seventy one strikeouts and hundred and fifty and a thirds innings. That's a very, very good strikeout rate, um, playing at high A, double A, and single A. This year the K rate dipped a little bit, hundred and twenty strikeouts and a hundred and sixty third innings, was that just a product of going up against some tougher competition, you know, that that tougher uh, PCL environment? Or was there something you did differently in your approach to this year? How did you kind of approach the strikeout numbers dipping a little bit?
2: Um, you know, the year before, I, it's not like I, I was necessarily trying to strike everybody out. You know, it just so happened to, you know, get more results on strikeouts. Um, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with, in 2014, I started the year in low A and went to high A, and, um, you know, I, I got a lot of my strikeouts in those two leagues, uh, and then, you know, when when I got to double A, the strikeouts kind of dipped in 2014, and then, you know, starting this year, um, you know, I mean, strikeouts aren't necessarily a big part of my game. I like to, you know, get the ball on the ground and try and get two outs with one pitch. You know, that's the type of pitcher I am, but... Also, people look at strikeouts as, you know, a dominating number and, um, you know, just facing the better the better hitters. They they know what's going on. They've watched the game. They've watched film, you know. So, um, you know, the strikeouts will be there. But, you know, I can't say that anything went differently or, you know, it's just sometimes the ball didn't go the right way for me, I guess you could say.
1: Aaron, let me ask you this. Um, you, and this is actually a, a question I wrote up our uh, our preseason preview of the D-backs organization, and, and one of the things I talked to some of the player development guys about was you and Braden Shipley came in together um, and kind of moved in lockstep a lot throughout your minor league careers. And I would imagine that feels pretty cool in a lot of ways to be able to go through the growing pains of what it's like to get into pro ball with somebody who is not only going through it at the same time as you, but really has a lot of the same uh, things at stake at the same time as you. Braden goes with a 15th overall pick in 2013. You go 21 picks after that. Um, and you guys were so successful at so many levels. Uh, pitching together in 2013, your debut seasons at Hillsborough and South Bend. Following year, South Bend, Visalia, Mobile. Last year, a little bit of time together in Mobile before you moved up. Um, what is that like, to have a relationship with somebody like that, to get to kind of grow together, bounce stuff off of each other and all that what kind of a security blanket does that give you getting into professional ball and going through your first couple of seasons
2: Um, you know it's it's excellent to have somebody like Braden like said we were together on every team we went to up until the second half of this past season Um, and you know he's a guy for the last two and a half years who we've always worked off each other and you know we try and outwork the other so we're making the other person better. And, um, you know, like you said, we're, we have the same, same type of stuff. Um, you know, we both work really hard and just being able to go through, um, four levels with him, you know, that's, um, not everybody has somebody like that. And like you said, drafted in the same year, we were, we knew that all throughout our career, we would be step-by-step with each other and, um, you know, he was, he was a great friend. He still is a great friend. Um, and you
0: know, I wish him nothing but the best. And, you know, it's, I hope his career turns out great. All right, Aaron, we'll, we'll leave you on this one. Um, trying to look a little bit towards the future, the immediate future. You know, you, as you talked about, you know, talking with us here today, you know, you're looking to try to break major league camp with, you know, Atlanta, um, coming out of your first camp with them. Uh, you know, you, you haven't experienced the majors yet. What do you think you need to do in this spring training, or what do you think you need to show them uh, specifically, or something you're working on this offseason, anything like that, that you need to do to to just break through, you know, that major league wall and and get that first major league start in 2016, whether it's you know first month of the season or July, whenever it may come. What do you think you need to do, or show the Braves to show them you're ready for the majors? Um. I don't think I need
2: to do anything, you know, outside of who I am, you know. I don't need to go try and be like a Shelby Miller and, you know, just throw fastball, fastball and, you know, throw it by people. I think I just need to show them who I am and, you know, what type of pitcher. And, um, you know, so they they made the trade for me, so I think they know what they're getting in return for with me. Um, so, you know, I'm just looking forward to – getting to camp and, you know, working and competing with all the other pitchers going for um a spot in the rotation. Um, you know, I'm I'm just looking forward to uh, you know, building off my career from the minors and, you know, hopefully at some point this season um to get that first taste in the big leagues.
1: He is Aaron Blair, the newly minted number 4 prospect in the Atlanta Braves organization. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at A underscore Blair19. Uh, he's also a giant, so if you see him hanging around the uh, the Atlanta area this year, 6'5", 230, probably stand out to you a little bit. Uh, Aaron, congrats on uh, a great 2015, um, a, a hectic, crazy offseason, I would imagine, but best of luck from all of us here, and uh, we'll be watching you in 2016 as uh, some big things lay ahead for you down in the South.
2: All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Once again, a really big thanks to uh, number four Atlanta Braves prospect, former number four Arizona Diamondbacks prospect Aaron Blair, the big right-hander. Again, is on Twitter. He is at a underscore blair nineteen. And with that, we're going to move on into uh, some in-house conversation with our good pal Benjamin Hill, who joins this edition of the show before the show. It's uh, we're nearly Christmas time today. Ben, you and Sam just going off the rails with uh, Star Wars
3: baseball jokes. It's uh, it's the holiday. It's a festive holiday mode around here. I suppose that. It's also a, uh, a mode of you know, late December, feeling the year-end, and uh, it's tough to stay focused when you're writing about minor league baseball year-round. I think we all do our best, but sometimes you just got to stop and write some jokes and uh, clear the brain a little bit. For me, well, the
0: jokes are just a way of staying away from Star Wars spoilers. <laughs> so it's like keeping my mind in that area, but not like work-relevant, sort of.
1: What are the are the Star Wars nights in 2016? You think going to be markedly different because now there will be so many different avenues from this movie for everybody to go after.
3: I was wondering that, but I doubt it because right now is in a lot of cases when you need to lock down those theme jerseys. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> and you know, uh, you know, a company like OT Sports or Wilson that has the licenses. I'm not sure with things being so close to the vest. I don't know uh, you know, what would be available for them to license. That's a, good, that's a good question, but I'm not sure what the turnaround time would be on things that reference the new movie in terms of uh, Star Wars Nights 2016. Who knows? Maybe there's agreements in place just to have the license without knowing what it is, and then as soon as it's available, it'll be available. It's a good question. I did not look into it.
1: So put a pin in that, uh, Star Wars nerds. We'll see if there is – I didn't mean that in such a – that sounded so nope. derogatory. I really didn't yeah. mean it in such a bad way. What are you uh, trying to say? People like Sam well, –
3: yeah, I mean, well, I'm trying to say that Star Wars is extremely overrated, and I don't enjoy <laughs> it, and I'm not going to see the new movies. So.
1: I, like, this does not lend itself well to, like, our instant reaction Twitter culture, but, like, I don't really have an opinion either way on Star Wars, which is weird, because I have an opinion on everything. So like, leading have, like,
0: into, into this, Sam was... we spectrum yeah. on this podcast. Actually. Yeah,
1: we do. We have one in, in a very indetermined person, one big fan, and one, it's overrated. We got the whole... We're crossing all the aisles here on Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I don't
3: hate it. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, you enjoy it, go enjoy it. I have nothing against a Star Wars fan, but I do feel this time of year, you know, with the new movie coming out, there's this just kind of expectation that everyone likes Star Wars and we're all in this together. And I kind of feel like this is just mediocre to me, and that's the way I've always felt, but... You know, other people feel differently. And, you know, in this uh, diffuse, fragmented culture we live in, if Star Wars can unite everyone and get our country talking about the same thing. Yeah, it's true. More power to Star Wars. Yeah. That
1: is how I feel. And again, this won't make me any friends in the minor league baseball front offices, but that's how I feel about the World Cup. Which, like, I got nothing against the World Cup. It's cool. It's fun. But, like, everybody's an expert when it's World Cup time. And, I, you know, none of us knew anything about soccer prior to it. Well, except for people like Sam who are smart about everything. Neither here nor that, there. That's
0: not like a very big Venn diagram. I'm
1: just one like, <laughs> of those people who, anyway. I'm just bitter about everything. Um, all right, so let's dive into it. It's the uh, the two most prolific writers on the site, arguably, are on this podcast with me right now, and I'm not one of them. Sam Dykstra, of course, and our good pal Benjamin Hill. Ben cranks out stuff nonstop, and so it's tough to nail down the best and the brightest and the most memorable for you, I would imagine Ben throughout an entire year. And even we got an email the other day. It said like highlight some of your favorite stuff that either you've written or other staff members have written throughout the season. And so I was going back through the news archives and everything. And my email ended up being like, I don't know. It's like, it felt like it was 50 stories long because there's so much good stuff that's out there, but it's so easy to forget a lot of that stuff. So Ben, when you look back on a season, I mean, how do you even begin to quantify the things that stood out most to you?
3: Yeah, it's tough, especially as this job has evolved for me and I'm on the road a good portion of the season and there's just so much to write about. It all kind of blurs together. And I struggle with this all year round. You know, I visit a place and people are like, What's the best food you've ever had at a ballpark? What's the best ballpark, period? What's the greatest between it and in contests? And I'm just kind of like, Uh, because there's just so much out there in minor league baseball 160 teams. I, I keep saying this, I need to create a a cheat sheet to carry around where I have my answers ready to go. And the same thing applies to my own work. Um, there's so much of it and it covers such a wide range in the world of minor league baseball that it's tough for me to be like, oh, I loved this or I didn't like this. I mean I think I'd say that I'm a very good writer and who does uh, excellent work year-round and that everything is equally awesome in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, so we'll just kind of make it very specific then instead of you know opening it up broadly to the entire year. I'll, I'll just kind of bring up a story that stood out to me personally um you know maybe because it's some closure the game itself was really interesting we wrote it through many different a- ways but the closing of new britain you know new britain moving to hartford you were there for the last game in new britain it's a walk off win very exciting um now that you're a couple months away from that how do you kind of reflect on that day and, and the piece you wrote about that
3: yeah that was august 30th um the last Rock Cats game ever played at New Britain Stadium, and that was one of my favorite pieces that I did this year. And I do have pieces that stand out. And uh, contrary to the arrogant assertion I made earlier that everything is awesome, um, <laughs> arrogant Lego movie assertion.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> there,
3: there you go. Um, but being uh, in New Britain for the last game, you know the team is moving to Hartford, and that's only twelve or thirteen miles away. But you know, if you're from that area, which I'm not, really but I'm familiar with it enough you know the distance between Hartford and New Britain is pretty it's 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 more than you'd think in terms of you know the stadium that they were in to the stadium they're going to um in terms of the kind of fans that are going to go there um there's a lot of traffic in that region very populated so the Rock Cats crowd is not going to necessarily translate to Hartford. So when I saw the last game in New Britain, it really was the end of an era. It wasn't just kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, the team's moving up the road. Who cares? It was like, no, we're saying goodbye to this very distinct thing. So having the chance to talk to you know, the broadcasters, the longtime scoreboard operator, you, know, the uh, 80-some-year-old guy in the fans who's the mayor of the ballpark, um, all those things – um, you know, really stood out, and, I, and I'm always grateful for the chance to to cover that sort of event that transcends far beyond you know the box score, and, and really gets to why a team means something to people, and to talk to the people who uh, you know have a deep ro- deep rooted emotional connection.
1: One of the things that was really cool about the on-the-road stories this year is uh, you got to go to the Midwest League and cover a lot of stuff in the Midwest League. I don't want to say that's a forgotten league, but I think um, sometimes a lot of those stories slip under the radar, even though it really fits that stereotypical billing of what minor league baseball is. Small towns, old ballparks in a lot of circumstances, really, really tight-knit communities around them. Um, and what I thought was really neat was the way that you were able to encapsulate that in a bunch of different cities throughout the Midwest League which you do everywhere but in the midwest league it seems like they almost sort of fit that bull durham mold um still very much to a T. so in quad cities there was a good story in Kane county there was a good story in clinton uh it was fascinating to read about the way that that city has almost built a lot of itself around the identity of the lumber kings um what were some of the things that stood out to you from those pieces
3: yeah i really enjoyed the midwest league for those reasons you just articulated and a lot of the smaller class a league smaller towns um you know, you're gonna get better stories there, I believe, than you are maybe going to a new ballpark, you know, in Charlotte. Um there is um just quirkier people and a smaller environment, it's kind of easier to um to explore. So, I mean one of the favorites I got out of the Midwest League this year is uh, in Cedar Rapids, getting to meet seventy one year old uh Cedar Rapids clubhouse manager Rody That's what everyone calls him, R O A D Y. His name real name is Ron Pline. And um he literally lives at the ballpark he doesn't have a driver's license he um you know stays at the ballpark until two three three thirty in the morning uh doing the laundry so when he moved with the team when they relocated from Quad cities to Cedar Rapids, the new ballpark included an on site living quarters for this guy so his apartment is literally right next to the laundry room so during the season he uh you know, stays up as late as he has to doing all the uh, visiting clubhouse tasks and uh, then just goes to bed in the apartment next door. And that's just one of those quirky things that you just kind of think, like, wait, what? <laughs> this 70-some-year-old guy lives at the ballpark? And, you know, that's his life. Baseball is his life. I think he's uh, a man of uh, pretty simple tastes, and, and that's what he likes to do. So as far as I'm concerned, I've never met anyone else who literally lived in a ballpark.
0: Yeah, and kind of speaking about, you know, baseball lifers and um – um You know, guys who spend their entire lives around the game and, you know, older guys, too. Um, I, I remember this story. You brought it up when we were talking earlier about stuff, you know, that you remember from the season that kind of stood out it was this Norfolk Tides, you know, executive vice president, Dave Rosenfield, the guy who makes the IL schedule by himself. What, what do you can re- remember about your discussions with him and what he was like? And, you know, all these months later, what, what still stands out to you about him?
3: Well, meeting Dave Rosenfield, that's a minor league baseball legend. I mean, he's been with the Norfolk Tides and, you know, before that, the Tidewater Tides all the way back, you know, over 50 years back when they were Carolina. Minor league franchise. So when you talk to him you're getting a perspective and a voice that you just don't hear in modern minor league baseball. Um, you know his uh, he's not at the stadium as much as he used to be. He's in his late 80s. Um, unfortunately after I visited him this summer, um, he was diagnosed with bone cancer, I believe. Um so I don't know you know, how he's doing right now. And that's why it's so important for me when I go to these ballparks to talk to the lifers. Um, last uh, winter meetings, Bill Valentine, the legendary, uh, salty, irascible um, art- owner of the Arkansas Travelers, he was named the king of baseball. And I got to talk to him for two hours. Basically, because I had to, because once that guy started a story, he didn't stop. And, you know, he passed away over the ensuing year. And I feel by talking to these people, by recording their stories, by writing about them, um, it's really an honor and a privilege to be able to, you know, get a sense of generations past. And I have a lot of respect for the ones who've uh, been able to keep their careers going, you know, through their 70s and into their 80s. And, you know, Dave Rosenfield in Norfolk is one of those guys. Dave Rosenfield has been making the International League schedule. And he made this years, you know, in, in 2015, in his mid 80s and his late 80s. He's been making the Inter- international league schedule since I believe 1963, and uh, when he was a young guy at a Carolina League meeting, and um, the, the league president at the time said, uh, "Anybody have on the co- any comments on this schedule?" And Dave Rosenfeld field, he didn't like it, and uh, you know he thought the tides were getting short shrift, and he raised his hand and said, uh, "A monkey could do it better." And uh, <laughs> the league president, you know, his name was Bill Jessup, he said. All right, then do it. And so, because he was young and brash and a little rude and said a monkey could do it better, he got handed the job and he's been doing it every year since then for over 50 years. And, you know, he's old school. You know, he lays out huge sheets of paper and pencils and it's just like a giant puzzle. And he said that, you know, he still likes to do it to a certain extent. And it's just kind of amazing to think in this era that we live in with um, how far technology has come that the International League schedule. I'm not sure if he's doing it for 2016 but the international league schedule for the entirety of all of our lives, you know, going back even further than that, all the way up until the year 2015 was created by this one guy who just did it, you know, with sheer brute force, a pen and or a pencil and an eraser and a bunch of paper and and think how many lives that impacts because that's when the fans go to the game, how the players travel. How the plans, how the teams have to plan for their own schedules and what days they're home and away, and it's all this one guy who's uh, you know worked in baseball for over fifty years. It's it's a, it's a great story
1: that fits very well. Uh, bookends this conversation very well because that's one of the ones that was one of my favorite stories of the season that I totally forgot to include in my list. So uh, I'm going to have to add an addendum to my list of the best stories of this year. But that one's fascinating, and you're right. I mean, it's not just oh he comes up with a schedule. This is the way that it looks for fans. It's all of that. It's team travel it's the way the clubbies work um it's the way front office staffs have to deal with a night game with a day game that follows or a school kid's day or something like that where you're sticking around for an extra two hours because you've got to help the, the crew clean the trash up off the concourse. That's the kind of stuff that people don't really get all goes into this. And for one guy, I think we all assume it's just a giant room with a bunch of computers that spits out a bunch of schedule options for all of these leagues. That's not necessarily the way it goes. And these are the kind of really cool storylines that you dig up, Ben, that I think the vast majority of people would not even even realizes the case
3: yeah that's kind of my mo as a writer in covering the minor leagues is just trying to find those stories that you don't even really think about you don't even think about like you just take it for granted and then when you do meet the people who are behind it or the people who do things that you never really even thought was a job in the first place it becomes fascinating to me and um I i love taking those angles and visiting these small towns and uh You know, middle sized cities all over America and, uh, you know, sniffing them out. And sometimes I'm more successful than others, but uh, I think at the end of the year, I can look back on it and, you know, hopefully always be able to find some good ones. Ben also tweeted two hours ago that he's
1: currently working on an article that gives him a legitimate reason to mention Norm MacDonald's roast of Bob Saget, so be on the lookout for that. And <laughs> Definitely MLB. be on com. the lookout for that. One That's of my favorite videos of
3: all time. Yeah. That's a plug
0: if I've ever heard one.
1: That'll be fantastic. Uh, ben, It's this is uh, one of our favorite conversations to get to have is looking back on 2015 or looking back on any season, but the stuff that you come out with this year is it's better every year. The Ben Hill standard climbs higher every season, and uh, thanks for coming on to, to give us a little preview. The year in review stories coming up next week right thanks
3: i appreciate your kind words so, you know i'm getting older and fatter and generally more uh, worn down and less impressive physically but i hope that that is balanced out by doing better and better work each year should have tried like me and just
1: never been impressive physically in the first place <laughs> then you wouldn't have any hey. problem
3: if, if i knew then what i know now
1: <laughs> ben hill go follow him on twitter he's at ben's biz and uh check out the blog bensbiz.mlblogs.com and the story coming to milb.com next week and
3: ben uh we'll talk to you then man thanks Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys.
1: With just days remaining in 2015, we're less than two we are two weeks as of this recording, two weeks away from 2016. How on earth? Like if I still wrote checks or like papers in school, I would have just gotten used to writing 2015. It's 2016 in two weeks
0: yeah I remember that, that i don't remember particularly in terms of checks, but that's what always used to throw me off. You get back from vacation you're sitting in elementary school, you yeah. write down the date at the top of every paper i, I still don't entirely understand why we did that. I, I think either. it was just to ingrain you the idea of like you're supposed to remember what the date is, but Time anyway it was a flat circle yeah, you would totally write at least you know when I was in elementary school um, oh it's nineteen ninety six no it's not it's ninety seven <laughs> I feel old now no you're still six and a half oh. Uh.
1: Six and a half and
0: 96, 97. Yeah. Man. Try not to give away my age. But. He's
1: youngins on the yeah. minor league. 90s
0: baby. Guess.
1: Not me not me. Um so with that we are uh, going to put the finishing touches on this edition of the show before the show. Again, you can rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes head on over there and give us your questions, thoughts, comments, concerns. You can also do that podcast at milb.com. You can uh, shoot us a note there and we'll get uh get to your questions and and whatever else you have going into 2016. Um so that will do it for this edition of the show. But like I said, we're not going away the next couple of weeks. Sam, what do we have on tap for folks over the next two weeks as we uh, roll through the final stages of the holiday season?
0: Yeah. So the way we're going to kind of do this coming up the next two weeks is uh, we're going to, you know, it's it, as we said, it's the, 2016 is coming up. That means New Year's. That means, you know, everybody gets together and parties and, you know, toasts at midnight and do, does the whole thing and everybody makes their New Year's resolutions. Or I shouldn't say everybody. Some people do, some people don't. But the, what we're going to do is we're going to make wish lists for all 30 organizations the next two weeks. We're going to split it up. One week we're going to do the AL teams. The next week, we're going to do the NL teams. Um, We're just going to come up with quick little hits of wish lists for what we think each of the 30 farm systems is going to be looking to do and accomplish in the 2016 season. Whether it's you know are they going they should deal some of their prospects or is it something a specific prospect in a system should do or is it develop more pitching? You know we'll go down the line. We'll make it very quick. Um, You know we, we just want to pop into your to your uh, news feeds, let you have something to listen to while you're traveling, wherever you're going, wherever you're coming back from, um, and we'll make it kind of fun for you guys to, to lead us out of 2016.
1: Slide into the DMs. Slide, Slide into the, into the
0: DMs, which sounds incredibly <laughs> creepy. And please don't take that the wrong way, everybody.
1: All right, everybody. Uh, we will talk to you next week. And if we uh, if we don't catch you until after the holidays, you tune in post, uh, post-Christmas post or whatever you celebrate. I've got my Festivus poll up in my main room uh, this week. So enjoy whatever your celebration entails. If you travel, travel safely. You can take us along with you on iTunes and wherever else you find the show before the show podcast. Sam is on Twitter. He's at or M-I-L. I'm at Twitter at Tyler Mon. Minor League Baseball, you can follow at MILB. And of course, Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. And until next week, when we uh, start breaking down some things headed toward 2016, enjoy the rest of uh, hopefully not freezing too badly wherever you are. And uh, we'll talk to you then.